you have to start off from that very foundational definition of what is nature-based solutions. And that is the relationship mm. between people and nature. And then go into rights and then go into really getting the money into the hands of communities. This is the Gomaluku Podcast. Mini, um, thank you so much for doing this. I, I, I really appreciate it because... Um, you and I, uh, for the past, I think, what is it, a couple of weeks, months, we've been in some webinars, um, yeah, um, on 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 biodiversity, climate change, conservation, and um, yeah, as yeah, I've been through a couple of them. Um, just wanted to like, like pick your brain a little bit about, um, yeah, something that that popped up quite often was nature-based solutions um that that um was is is a term that is used by the un um, um in, in many occasions and it sounds very indigenous um but in my mind i'm always super skeptic uh, about about a lot I'm not skeptic i'm critical you know i'm critical about uh, about things uh, and i keep skepticism in a high regard um also, and when it comes to nature-based solutions, um, I, I get that that feeling like, mm, yeah, it is not necessarily. What are we missing? We're missing something um, about about this whole conversation. Um, so, in my ignorance, like, yeah, I know there's something missing, but I don't know what. So, I naturally gravitate towards the people that do know, and many, you're one of the people that that do know. Um, a lot about these things so i just wanted to um yeah just thanking you it's very thankful for you to jump on this on this on this podcast to yeah to to share share a little bit of thoughts about about it so that i can learn and then we can have yeah um have, have a um yeah broader conversation about this outside of this u1 um uh these u1 <laughs> processes that, that are ongoing about it yeah no, thank you, Ghazali. Um, you know, these conversations um, serve to clarify things and at, at the same time allow us to verbalize these things that are bothering us. And um, yes, um, especially I think the last three weeks because of the uh, Convention on Biological Diversity going through that whole process of looking at the latest draft on um, the global biodiversity framework uh, post-2020. And there's a lot of talk about nature-based solutions. And I think your feeling, you should go with your feeling that there is something not right. Mm. Um, when this first came out, I think a year ago, um, I was talking with a friend and we were saying, you know, this is something that indigenous peoples have always advocated for, you know, the recognition of our traditional systems of caring for the earth. And they never did that. You know, they went around, uh, formed for the UNFCCC, formed a platform. The CBD has Article 8 working group. And so they went around and never came up with a clear statement saying that we are promoting traditional systems of management and use of natural resources. And suddenly they came up with this new term, nature-based solutions. And, and I think the simple co-optation of the idea and turning it to nature-based solution 
takes away everything that indigenous peoples have advocated for. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes away that very, when we talk of our traditional systems of dealing with our resources, it has always been um, interdependence, um, you know, that, um, that relationship with nature that we have that is very much interdependent. And now they call it nature-based solutions. It turns into a very transactional relationship rather than this um, interdependence. And, and I think that is the most important um, thing that we've always tried to impart is that when we relate with nature, we do not relate to it as an adversary and, and say that we're here to save nature. Um, rather, we have always worked with nature as a relative, something that we take from nature and nature takes from us. And what happens to nature happens to us. It was never a question of us saying, we will keep the trees standing so we will get X amount of dollars. We will keep the trees standing because we know that they hold the soil and there will be no great erosions. It, it, it also means that we will cut down the trees when the time comes because we need it and we plant trees. It's not saying those trees will not be cut down because they are absorbing carbon. And so it, it was never about uh, a very transactional relationship. And this, uh, all this discussion was about nature-based solutions. And I think you're being very polite, Ghazali, when you term it like it's something wrong. I would even be more blunt and say it's just another form of colonialism. You know, mm. um, whoever came up with this idea and this great solution to mankind's problem is essentially erasing everything that indigenous peoples have done for generations and changing it to a very, very transactional relationship and saying that, look, guys, we have the solution and this is the solution. So I think it's just another form of colonialism. Yeah, what um, something that strikes me as well. And when when did I first got into contact with Nature Resolutions? I think it was the, the, the climate summit uh, of well, a couple of years ago, there were some preparations and there were several streams and indigenous peoples fit into that box of nature-based solutions. And the first, the first, and I remember I was in New York back then and there was some meeting was organized by the um, co-conveners or co-facilitators. I can't remember, like the, the, some, some states were, were co-convening some, some consultations and we're talking about nature-based solutions and... Um, because there were no indigenous peoples, because that's the funny thing of it, about, about it. They're organizing meetings about nature-based solutions. Um, and it was at the UN, but no indigenous peoples were actually at the table in, in those first meetings. Um, I was in New York for a different meeting, was on oceans, and somebody, uh, Nina, Nina Kancheva from UNDP, she's like, hey, uh, there's this meeting ongoing. Um, um, can, you, can you pop in for a few minutes um, just to... to to feel what, what, what the temperature is of the water, uh, what, what's going on, and maybe set on your two cents. Like, yeah, sure, why not? And that's how I um, first came into contact with nature-based solutions. And the, the funny thing was, it was no talk about, um, about just, in a way, in their view, they were talking about sustainability, but it, it was, because uh, there were a lot of uh, some countries and also, um, conservation organizations and 
um, and and some some business representatives as well. They were talking about nature-based solutions. So that that made made my, my skin itch a little bit. Um, oh, my my bat signal went off. And all, the first and um, uh, so they did did a quick round of so they did the, the, these um, the introduction the, the co-conveners. There were two states that did, did it. Uh, it was so long that there was, um, and I could only stay for one hour. Um, that I thought, yeah, uh, when it came to a, to a um, um, yeah open interactive dialogue, like oh yeah, please can I can I say something before I before I leave? And the first thing that I said was, how come indigenous peoples are only considered when it comes to nature-based solutions? Because you have so many work streams for this climate summit. And we have we have skin in the game. We have skin in. We have interests, concerns, solutions, knowledge on all these work streams. How come indigenous peoples are only considered for nature-based solutions? Because we're not primitive. We're not, we're not just living in, 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 in rural, rural uh, areas, coastal areas, and, and or like, like did this, I keep getting, getting the feeling that um, the, the world or international community, community still perceives indigenous peoples as being the people living in the Amazon, um, uncontacted and only good for nature-based solutions. All right, let, let's, let's keep him there, nature-based solutions, um, because that is what fits the bill. Uh, whereas it should be a other way around, I believe, is that, well, we indigenous peoples, we've been here quite a long time as a, as, as peoples, as, as a community, as a, also, as an international community in the form of a movement, we've been here for a very long time. So we do have, like I said, you know, like we're not limited to, you're limiting our ways of lives, uh, our worldviews to only nature-based solutions. And it sounds nice, nature-based solutions. It sounds very sustainable. But when, when, you, when you dig deep into it, you just, you just realize, yes, it becomes this transactional thing. Red plus comes to mind all of a sudden um, in, in my mind. I'm like, all right. So nature-based solution, red plus. Then my question is, all right, land rights, um, um, how are those, or, or indigenous rights in general, how are they going to be uh, protected? How does how does this, I just wonder, how, did, how does this all play out, this whole nature-based solution thing? Um, um, what, what are the, are there any pros and, and definitely like what, what cons should we, should we be aware of? Um, yeah. Just going back to your first please, please, please. Natu natural based uh, nature based solutions. That is one of the major concerns that we have in all of these discussions, even in the def definition of nature based solutions. We're not at the table. It seems like we're invisible suddenly. I mean, all of these reports that they come up, I'd be best saying we're the best managers of our territories. And yet they come up with these nature based solutions. And who gets to define it? IUCN. Are we on the table? No. Um, who gets to be on the table? Like you said, it's private sector companies and the big NGOs. So we're not even in the definition. Second, on the issue of rights, and you're very right when we, you think of red bloods, um, because that's a classic example of an NBS project. Um, and that's a very big concern. Of course, as indigenous peoples, we want to be part of the solutions to the problems of biodiversity loss and climate change. But 
it shouldn't come at the expense of our rights. And that is now what is being promoted is, you know, if we go through with this NBS, then some of your rights will be recognized. And I, I feel like when the red plus first came out, we were saying no rights, no red, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. then they managed to change the narrative to with red plus, you can get land rights recognition. And that is again, what's happening in NBS. It's like, if you are going to work with us, you will eventually get some of your rights recognized. So I would, I would really argue, and I think this is where the indigenous people's movement has to again, come back to the table very strongly and say, before all of these solutions, can we have our rights recognized and promoted? Do not make it as part of the benefit because it's, it's, it's just not right <laughs> that um, we are doing this so that our rights get recognized. It should be the other way around. Rights recognition before NBS. And already there are some issues that arise out of this, for instance, um, Suriname, where they are doing this NBS, NCS, natural, nature, natural climate solutions, in one area. And of course, because they are already providing livelihood and X amount of dollars for the X amount of carbon, um, there is already like the government, it's okay, where we don't have to go through the legal recognition of your land rights because they're already getting benefits. And this puts into, um, you know, in danger, the, 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 the long-term goal of the indigenous peoples of Suriname, which is land rights recognition, because what is now being recognized is carbon rights. So you can have rights over that, but not the land. So um, it's a very big threat to the indigenous peoples movement for um, land rights recognition. If we allow these NBS projects to go forward without asserting that the rights get recognized first. So it's, again, because um, this course on it is just happening between NGOs who are serving as the um, middlemen <laughs> between companies who want to greenwash and um, because perhaps carbon is such a bad word, now they're investing in so-called nature-based solutions. But why are they not allowing indigenous peoples in the room so that we can also share? It's not as if indigenous peoples do not have the capacity to also undertake projects. I mean, we have been sustainably managing our territories for generations. Why suddenly are we not allowed to manage $50,000? They always say, we. Indigenous peoples do not have the capacity. They do not have the financial um, intelligence to deal with millions of dollars, but we have the capacity to manage how many hectares of forest lands or how many nautical miles of ocean. So there's, again, it's this um, looking at indigenous peoples as the noble savages, you know, mm -hmm. that, that stereotype that, we are only good for um, our feathers, our pains, and in our communities. And we don't have the capacity to sit and negotiate in the boardrooms of Shell or whatever big company there is. So. Right. Yeah. And I, I um, are we, when it, when it comes to the, because um, 
I thought that nature-based solutions, uh, when it was introduced, at least, sorry, no, it wasn't introduced. Um, when I first got into contact with it, was with the Climate Summit, that it's, but it, it, it is, um, you see it popping up everywhere um, right now. And, you, and everyone is talking about nature-based solutions. And, um, and I get the feeling that, that, that obviously people are gravitating towards indigenous peoples, or we need to include indigenous peoples. That is what they're saying. However, it does feel like tokenism. It does feel like, all right, just, just to, just to, to, as, as a, to window dress, to, um, like you said, uh, slap a, a, um, a indigenous approved sticker on it or, or, or stamp on it. Like we, we, uh, and, um, you can only talk about indigenous or nature-based solutions when, or nature, it's the, the solution is only nature-based when there, there is an indigenous voice present, not not being a decision-making, but present. If you, you could take a photo of, all right, yeah, there's there's an, an indigenous person in the room talking about it. Uh, doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter if they, like, and, and the, the, I'm afraid that if, um, Indigenous peoples, if we all are going to um, go into this, into, into, um, head first into the nature based solutions, um, that it, we, we lose, uh, yeah, that we lose a little bit of our, our worldview, whereas it is holistic that it's, that there's, there's three 60 degree vantage point um that everything is connected and now that we're we're only locked in to this nature-based solutions thing and um yeah i'd like i'd like us to do zoom out of it and like 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 have have, have us like all right hey guys nice uh, that that you're including us with nature-based solutions however um we our knowledge we were much more capable capable of much more than that how can i i don't, I don't know i just help me try, try to am i in the right direction or am i not if i'm not how should i steer into the right direction or if i'm in the right direction how can um yeah we help i help indigenous peoples to be more conscious of that you are in the right direction Ghazali, and that is why i also started off by going back to that mm. relationship that, that we have with our territories and and that is what I fear most, um, because of course, I also recognize that our communities are under so much pressure, especially now with the pandemic. So mm -hmm. we are all looking for ways to sustain our communities, um, just providing food and everything. So our people are looking for ways for income generation, um, but it shouldn't come at the, um, in exchange for that very, very unique relationship that we have with the territories. So we should always be starting these discussions, these negotiations by going back to that very basic relationship that we have so that we measure everything, the benefits that we may be receiving from nature-based solutions, we measure it in terms of how much of that relationship is going to be lost. Um, I think, and this is really a challenge for indigenous peoples, um, 
that we are bombarded by so much pressure, um, as well as so much influence that we might tend to disregard this very important uh, basis of our being indigenous peoples is that relationship. So yes, um, and, and without doubt, there will be communities who are going to be uh, opting for nature-based solutions. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's their self-determination. But I hope that they go into these solutions with, uh, you know, with a clear understanding of what they are giving up. And maybe if they are reminded of this, then maybe that loss is also mitigated. Mm -hmm. um, if, and, and this is my greatest um, <laughs> um, challenge to, and I work for a conservation organization um, that is also very much promoting NBS, is that really we should remove the middlemen and allow communities to actually negotiate with funders who want to fund such solutions so that there's nothing lost in the translation. Indigenous peoples and communities can say, this is how we want the project to run. This is the solution that we want. And maybe educate the private sector on how we want to do our nature-based solutions. And so it's, it's really a challenge of getting those funding directly into the hands of communities rather than going through an intermediary because by going through an intermediary, one, something gets lost in the translation. Mm. Two, the benefit gets not just half. <laughs> the communities do not even get to define what are the benefits. It's the intermediaries who define the benefits. So um, I'm not saying that I am against nature-based solutions per se. It is really saying mm. between people and nature, and then go into rights and then go into really getting the money into the hands of communities. So right. It's a challenge, not just to NGOs, but also for communities to say enough of this um, intermediaries. We want to deal directly with those who want it to enter into this solution so that they get to understand what it is that we want. Right. Does that, does that also, um, when you talk about um, direct lines of communication, right? You should talk about removing the middleman, and I'm all for it, um, uh, I'm 100%. And creating direct line of communications uh, with the, local, um, the indigenous peoples on the, on the ground, on the, on, in the territories. Um, the, the, is, is that, does that contribute to uh, what is also a, a dialogue that is ongoing, um, uh, decolonizing conservation? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but again, where is this conversation coming from? This mm. decolonizing converse, uh, conservation, inclusive conservation, these are all originating from the outside and right. not from the communities. Um, and often um, communities are again brought into the table when they realize that, hey, why are we talking about this and the, the, the people? So, if you go to the communities, I think they would not even know what they mean by decolonizing conservation. They don't even have conservation in our 
in our language. Mm. So again, all of those discussions are being initiated from the outside. So even the whole concept of decolonizing conservation is further colonizing um, you know, communities. And even this new, new, <laughs> new tagline, inclusive mm. conservation, who, who gave conservation organizations the, the mandate to include us isn't that really indigenous people should have the, the right to say, we want to include you in our self-determined development life plans for a community, not the other way around. So um, yes, in a way, if I step out from my uh, sure, community, sure. <laughs> community and uh, look at it from the international point of view. Yes, these are conversations that need to happen. And um, really also challenging, again, conservation organizations to be true and not just have discussions on decolonizing conservation, but put it into practice. And really, the best practice is really leave us alone. <laughs> <laughs> provide us provide us the funding and, you know, uh, the funding that you're getting Yes, you will probably give us 10% of it and 90% remains with you. What if we make it more equitable? Because maybe, yes, maybe there are some um, technical things that we need to train on. So maybe 50-50%. Why does it always have to be us um, getting the, the, the shorter end of the stick and always the intermediaries getting um, the bigger part? So, yes. Right. Yeah, it's um, I when when you said that I I quickly had I had a flashback to when was it, uh, COP twenty five Madrid, final final um, when indigenous peoples got to get to make the statement, which is at the at the very end, obviously all the all the uh, at at the end uh, the uh, the uh, closing plenary, and when Kira said um, um, you said leave us alone, Kira said uh, get out of our way. Um, yes. As in, like we're 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 doing, uh, yeah, we're doing um, what we do. Let let us do what we do best, and 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 it's I don't know, just how I when I want to look at things, um, 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 all these conversations conversations that are happening, uh, webinars that are being organized, and and mostly obviously initiated by. I would say partnered with indigenous peoples, but not initiated by indigenous peoples. Um, I just wonder um, how, that would it, it be the right time for indigenous peoples to start talking about um, actually about like let's let's. Let's put it front and center. Our basic principle, for example, like self determination, like how that indigenous peoples um, have a conversation initiated by ourselves, um, talk about conservation, not, not conservation, um, you know, addressing conservation. Let's talk about, talk about that. Or from, a, from our own perspective, initiated by ourselves, initiated by us, um, with, yeah. The, self-determination uh in mind um because the, the thing is and i think what 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 also strikes me is that uh, a lot of 
statements that I hear from indigenous peoples or remarks in these webinars from indigenous peoples, they they tend to gravitate, they go to self-determination, they gravitate towards it. However, in a um, requesting self-determination, you're requesting your right to self-determination as I've as I do feel that that is a right that you don't request, but you claim. You know, it is a right that you already have. So you have to reclaim it in a bit. Um, yeah, what, what, do you, what do you think, Minnie? Yes, I completely agree. And I, I was just, um, I'm preparing my slides for a presentation on what indigenous peoples have lost after so many years of working at the UN. And I am, um, I go back to the 1980s when we were um, negotiating the UN, the UN dream. Mm -hmm. And we were very, very unapologetic about demanding that our right to self-determination be recognized. And then I look at now, after that, all these processes, we have left self-determination and we have talked about full and effective participation, equitable participation, and all of that. And, and you're right, we have through the years, um, once we got the UN DRIP <laughs> adapted, we seem to have gone into the weeds sort of and trying to define what is self-determination, trying to be polite. And I said, maybe we were more effective um, lobbyists at the time when we didn't have all of these many um, capacity building trainings where we were trained to speak the UN language. Mm. And I think we were more effective then when we really demanded things instead of requested things. So I think what we need to do as Indigenous peoples is really come together again and take stock of all of this. Yes, we have, we apparently have gained a lot, mm -hmm. but how has that translated in terms of our communities? I think at the international level, we all have these good declarations that we bandy about, but has it translated to something concrete? So maybe um, how many years has it been since the UN trip? Some sort of a, a self-assessment and the criticism and again, uh, moving forward uh, kind of gathering where then and how and just also reflecting on my own <laughs> development as an indigenous person and I was it, it's just that you know I just moved back to the, the Philippines so I was unpacking and I found a copy of my to the UNWGAP mm to what I am now saying and it's it's very different so maybe we all need to go back and and reflect and then see how we can move forward because I think we did lose something um, as we went up the ladder of the UN so. in, in, intriguing actually so you found you found a document of, of, of the, the working group what 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 went through your mind when you when you read it well, I said, how, how brave we were at the time. Mm. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, at the time, there were not that many NGOs who were also supporting us, sort of, and providing um, legal analysis or so. So we actually went to the UN with our <laughs> authentic selves. Mm. Uh, we came and um, 
I would probably be very embarrassed now if my daughter was to look at that statement and let it go through Grammarly. She would probably say it's a lot of wrong grammar. But, mm -hmm. but I felt that it's much more authentic and it was much more um, reflecting what was needed and what is still needed at this time. I think um, we have a lost something by being polite. So let us be brave again and reclaim that um, the tradition that brought us to the UN. Right. And so you um, post, you were in the declaration negotiations and looking at it right now. And can, yeah, where, where are we? Um, it, so let, let's hypothetically, <laughs> we do let's we do a stock take. Um, I, I give you, um, I give you, I give you the floor mini and what, uh, what are your, uh, what's your, what's your analysis on this? I think it really, it's really going back to the basics. Mm. Um, yeah, going back to the base for what our communities stand for. Like, um, of course, we are all now better informed, better capacitated, but I think we really need to go and reclaim that relationship that we have with our communities, with our lands and waters for those who are um, marine dependent, um, because I think that is what is missing. Um, I, I'm not sure now it might, um, maybe if we have a bigger gathering after being locked down for almost two years now, mm -hmm. um, has this resulted in some reflections among the indigenous activists and maybe um, see if we are still in the same path or have we digressed? I, I think at the very bottom of our hearts, we are still aiming for that rights recognition, but we, are, we tend to be less um, authentic because mm -hmm. we're using a different language and it's not an issue of English or French, that we are no longer speaking from the heart. We are now looking at it from the conference paper E or whatever. Mm -hmm. And try, um, I, I'm, I'm reminded in the IIF meetings, you know, that um, there are new people and they are suggesting language and they are being reminded by the, um, the seniors in the IIFP that, um, to be effective negotiators, we have to use what is approved language. And I feel like, I think we lost something there because if we only use approved language, then we are essentially accepting the fact that, you know, um, basically we're colonized because mm. the language is the language of the um, colonizers or those who want to do something to our lands. And if we limit ourselves to that, then we are essentially agreeing to many other things, which may not be obvious immediately, but it, it takes some reflection to be able to get to that realization. And um, I'm just thankful that I, I, I got back to the IIFP caucus and made this sticking to what is approved language. Um, why do we only have to um, agree on what are the essential items? I mean, if, if there's somebody new to the group who's just coming from his community, we should actually listen more to them because they bring that very unique perspective and it's not clouded mm. by uh, 
UN UN speak. So yeah, that's another challenge for the whole <laughs> indigenous movement is we need to bring in more of the people from the ground and listen to them. <laughs> This is so funny you, you, uh, you said that because in many what I experienced in many caucus meetings and 100% I have to agree of, I have to um, admit that sometimes I, I also feel I have to check in with myself like oh all right so what am I actually doing here are we because um, when it comes to uh, uh, advocacy and you know and 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 yeah, climate change, human rights, or biodiversity. Um, yes, looking at agreed language can be helpful. However, you need to have a bigger picture in mind. Um, what you trying to change change something? So um, don't look at um, and that, that, that's what I often uh, a a method that I see used by by a lot of indigenous peoples. All right, look at look at used language of an already read language because uh, that's easier yes it's easier however you want to push the envelope you want to yeah. you, you you want to um uh, make it uh yeah be more in line with the with with your rights so um shop around but try to look for the biggest and most generous interpretation of of of, of a language that, that that's out there and not just all right, yeah, well, this, this has been used in CBD for the last 10 years. We have to, we have to, we have to use it again and recycle it again. Um, I think that that's not helping. And I can, and that will frustrate a lot of indigenous peoples on the ground as well, or, or, or they're new to the process as well. Uh, like, hey, yeah, well, so in, in that sense, what am I doing here? And yeah, and it's um, sometimes, uh, I do get the feeling that people that are the, the seniors um, in, in the movement, um, it's they lost that touch, the, the touch of um, being the, the, in in their in their mind. Um, it is we're, we're still doing the right thing. However, um, we're not doing great things, um, as in really make. Uh, uh, broad or, or bold, uh, bold steps, which is what we all need right now as, as a global um, uh, community. Um, so it is, uh, yeah, agreed language. It, it, it's a pitfall. That's that's what it is. Because you're, because um, and it's essentially what you what you're saying is, um, history is already written um, because it's it's you, you keep recycling it. And and yeah. what you you want you want to write new things to make innovative things and um, granted the UN is something that does not like to reinvent itself or do something new uh, so you have to be very um, strategic about it um, and maybe with this whole new human reform thing it, it can help however like you said um, it starts with the communities um, and, and no but I love it yeah. Gazali and I think. Um, the pitfall can be avoided if there are more people like you who have these reflections, these moments when you check yourself and say, what am I saying? Why am I saying this? Mm. Um, and I think that is the important thing that we just have to remember. I, I believe that all Indigenous peoples, our leaders, our seniors who are out there, 
still have that and they just need to be more conscious when that internal voice pings them. Like I had to come back <laughs> because I felt that being away from home also contributes to that muting of that internal voice. Mm -hmm. And I think um, the more that we listen to the internal voices that we have, I think the better for us because Gazali, I know that you've been in the, this system for so long and it's hard if you try to change. And yes, the UN is the last organization to accept any new language. But mm. again, my question would be, what are we in there for if we are not promoting change? And of course, to be effective, you have to know how to weave in those new language or those changes what, that we need to do. Um, the problem is when we get so carried away by the whole process and then we mute the internal voices that remind us that, hey, wait, you, you have to check whether this is still in line with that very basic principle of, you know, um, safeguarding your relationship with the community and with your territory. So I think I don't, this, <laughs> these conversations, Kasali, help me do that. Mm. You know, when you ask provocative questions, my first instinct would be to give you the standard response. And then you dig deeper and then that internal voice gives me that, uh -uh. <laughs> maybe you need to look at it from this perspective. So I think we just need to have such conversations among ourselves and at the same time try to bring in new voices as well, which is right. very, very much. I, 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 I get the feeling that um, if ever there was a time for the movement to consolidate, coordinate and take stock, it was right now during COVID. Yeah. Everyone was at home. We could, we could take stock. Um, I'm not saying that, that, we've, that we're beyond that time window. I mean, so like we could have used this time better. Obviously, everyone is dealing with COVID-19. I know that. I get that. Um, but we all also see there's, there's, a, there's a big chess game that's at play here. And if we want to be a player at the game, then we need to be organize ourselves as well. And the more that I think about it, um, and I have conversations with people like yourself that, that keep, my, keep my thoughts in check, and, and other people that 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 um, I usually don't talk to, uh, but it's it's always intriguing to have to, to learn how other how, how they think. Um, I I just I just I'm I'm just um, tempted to to yeah to, just to to do organized like meetings where we we indigenous peoples we talk once a month or something um, with having self determination in mind, right? Like how to take stock of things. And, uh, where are we going as, as a movement? Are we going in the right direction, or is it, or, or is it, um, yeah? Are we all going to Rome, but everyone's one is going through China, the other one is going through Africa? Like, <laughs> what what are we doing? <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's, it's some kind of conversation that that um, I feel more having conversations like these um, could could definitely help consolidate us, coordinate a little bit more. No, I, I fully agree. And, and you're right. We should have used this time for reflections because that's the other reflection that I had. 
is that we also have lost our unique identities. We all have fallen into this mold of indigenous peoples, and it's even worse in the CBD because it's mm. now IPLCs. Yeah. Um, and the strength we had in Geneva has been, we go there, I went as a kankana, somebody came and, you know, we, we came in our own very different identities and we talked about that and then come together. Okay, so we have common issues. We are all look different, we all speak different, but we have common issues. And I think we lost that because we always want to have the consensus statement, the caucus statement. Gone are the days when a small community can make a presentation of their situation. So it's something that um, I think, I hope, <laughs> you know, that in this time of when we are in lockdown and not traveling too much, that we get to sit down and me, for instance, look at all the weavings that I have and, and reflect that, yes, this is actually something that makes me unique and that cannot be captured in a caucus statement. We lost that, Kesali. We are now one IPLC. No longer are we the different threads woven mm. together to come up with a tapestry. We are now just one. So, yeah, we need that. And, and I think having these conversations, and that's my challenge to you, Kesali, is to organize that. <laughs> because I feel like... Um, we need this conversation, an honest conversation, an honest reflection of where we are. I think we're still all geared towards Rome. <laughs> Maybe mm. we're taking different side streets. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so too. Um, or some people are taking a bus, some people are walking, some people take taking a bike. And there are different ways to get into Rome. And Others routes. are taking a canoe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, yeah, definitely. So it is... Um, yeah, I, I think uh, the more, the more, like, like I said, the more talking about people like yourself, um, the more I feel that that, and we should not wait for the current forum or expert mechanism oh, yeah. or something or or cop to have this conversation. But we should have these conversations like on a monthly basis, you know, so, so check in with the movement because it's it's a big movement and it's a big world and we're so many indigenous peoples. No way that you can all. Like, like trim it down and slim it down into like one or two days uh, prior to COP, prior to expert mechanism or perform. Um, so I think, um, yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. That, that, I think that that's what I what I think could help uh, us consolidate a little bit more and, and to touch upon, all right, what is our understanding of nature-based solutions? What is our understanding of, and what are the pitfalls? And how do we, how do we, as a movement, as only indigenous peoples all around the world, uh, what is our common principles in this? You don't you don't need to have a, have a consensus position because uh, that's not the idea of of uh, that's what I believe of these dialogues. But have principles, all right? Like these are this is the framework that that we're, we're all uh, that we're all going to use, and people are free to do what they what they want to do within that framework. Uh, but um, but yeah. You have the, the platform and um, you have the following, Ghazali. <laughs> I think it's um, incumbent upon you to try to organize that. And um, uh, I'm sure that there are a lot of people who would like, and, and we can all benefit from uh, listening to others' thoughts. I mean, these are just my thoughts on, uh, as a result of 40 days of rain <laughs> and, uh, and, and really unpacking boxes. But um, 
I think it would be good to hear also some of the thoughts of those more senior and those who have come um, after us. You know, they might have a very different perspective. Um, those who I always think, yes, you are so lucky. You went through a lot of capacity building before they threw you to Geneva. I was just asked to go to Geneva without any briefing on what am I going to find there. So, but I think it's good to have that conversation. And um, <laughs> yes, we we started off with nature-based solutions. <laughs> and I think um, if we are being authentic and true to ourselves, maybe it's just another term that we need to really unpack further and see how it benefits our people and making sure that we call out uh, who we need to call out in terms of, you know, they're co-opting our very ideas, our own ways of thinking, and they're packaging it in a different way. And I think um, we have to call them out and as well as also help our communities understand the pitfalls of these um, so-called solutions. Right. No, I... Um... Thank you for, for bestowing that, um, uh, um, um, yeah, how should I put it, um, the challenge on me to, to, um, to, 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 to do it. I'm, I'm thinking about it and I'll definitely do it. I'll, all right, I have a, assume that I'm, that I'm gonna do it. Um, many, as a final question, because I, I know you don't have a lot of time. Um, let's, let's say we're, we're going to do this, help me, like um, when you talk about self-determination, what would, yeah, what we would be a, a a good topic to to talk about aside from nature based solutions, or maybe go a little bit deeper. Like, what what is the the core conversation that we need to have when it comes to, in your view, when it comes to conservation? It goes back to the, our rights to our territories. So land rights, land rights, land rights in the in the realm of conservation or what does um, conservation have to do with land rights? Right. Well, in, this, in the case of, again, our marine brothers and sisters, our territories, our right. rights to our resources as well. Obviously, yeah. All right, so definitely have to tackle Which is that. the basis of our self-determination. 100%, 100%, so, yeah. 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 We shouldn't forget that, Ghazali. And, and I think, yeah, sometimes we, we get carried away by the by the allure of money coming from carbon that we forget <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the bigger the bigger picture of it's not just about carbon it's all about the resources contained in our territories so. right many thank you so much for your time um and and hopefully either we have another conversation about this or a different topic or we're meeting again in one of these um um yeah uh the, the, these broader global conversations thank you for having me and actually Ghazali you always help me think with your provocative questions so thank you and have a good day thank you and have a great day as well bye-bye that's it that's the end of the episode for more content you should do two things uh, one subscribe to the podcast and two go to linktree slash gomoluku so that's linktr.ee slash gomaluku for more content and conversations. Um, I would really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I think yeah, that's it. Um, enjoy the rest of your day.